What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, mfceo.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by FMF. They've got a brand new subscription service that can get you some FMF apparel every single month going forward. So go over to fmfracing.com and check that out. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, with us on the line for the third time. He's a repeat offender and he is an absolute motocross legend. Jimmy Button, how's it going? Going well, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for making some time for us. Anytime that we can have uh, a guy like yourself on the podcast is an absolute thrill for me. Uh, a guy that was a pioneer uh, as far as four strokes go. I believe you're the first guy to win an outdoor national of four stroke. Yes, no? Uh, no, that would have been uh, that would have been Doug the year before. The year prior. Okay, yep. fair enough. Yep. But uh, um, one Washougal, yes, on that thing. Yep, yep, one Washougal in 99, then um, a bunch of, you know, tons of podiums and whatnot, but then, uh, you know, then unfortunately ended up, um, uh, you know, getting hurt the very next year, you know, which I think probably would have been a good year for us, but, for sure. you know, that's the, way, uh, that's the way life goes. Absolutely, and that allowed you to uh, possibly make uh, a bigger impact on the sport than many athletes or any athletes have going forward, and uh, I think... I think I don't think there's a lot of people who really realize that your impact on the sport and your involvement with motocross at a high level has been pretty much prevalent for the better part of 35 years, uh, given the fact that you were one of the most highly touted amateur riders coming out in the mid-80s, uh, mid to late 80s, and then uh, I'm sure you were uh, a fast kid prior to getting all that attention, and then obviously a guy who... Uh, not only was extremely uh, successful and dominant on the uh, American side of things, but uh, uh, you also uh, ventured over overseas. So uh, th- you're like the perfect guy to have on after uh, after an MX uh, DN that we that we saw this last weekend. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, you know I'm, I'm 45 now, and uh, yeah, I mean I'd say probably for you know the better part of 30, I mean for 30. Eight years, about 45, you know, I've basically been making a living, you know, kind of in and around the sport, um, you know, because I was obviously uh, at a very young age, I was riding for Honda and doing a lot of developmental work on their bikes. And so I basically was a factory rider for them, you know, at the age of eight, um, receiving a paycheck to ride their bikes, race their bikes, test their bikes, you know, kind of all the way through my amateur career. And then obviously then turning pro and you know, riding for, um, you know, factory Honda, factory Suzuki, factory Yamaha during, uh, during my racing days. And then, you know, after getting hurt, um, you know, starting, uh, starting the, uh, representation business as well as starting the road to recovery, which helps, uh, injured athletes out, you know, when they, you know, when they receive some sort of, you know, high level significant injury, you know, not just broken bones and, and whatnot, but, you know, brain injuries and spine injuries and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a, uh, it's definitely been a long career in the sport. Um, still love it, which is, uh, which is, I can say, hard to say sometimes with, uh, <laughs> with the crap that you have to deal with, um, kind of at this level and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, in the end, it's a, it's 
great sport. It brings out uh, the best athletic abilities in people. And, you know, I think, um, you know, I think that was on display pretty much this weekend. You know, I, uh, I always find it interesting um, with, uh, you know, I guess I'll call it the North American fan base, you know, that thinks the American riders are so much better um, than every other country in the world and kind of yada, yada, yada. But, you know, the reality is, is that's not the case. And, you know, it, it really hasn't been the case for quite some time. I mean, there was a period when we were, you know, I would say that we were, you know, one step ahead. Um, and that was maybe somewhat evident by maybe the amount of times that we won more across the nations, you know, back in the, the eighties and nineties. But, you know, even to that point, I think what a lot of people don't realize, and they probably would have, you know, the internet would have been around back then, but a lot of those wins, you know, we got pretty damn lucky to, to get a lot of those wins. You know, so a lot of them came down to the last couple laps of the third moto. Uh, oftentimes, you know, we were lucky enough that our bikes stayed together and some other uh, teams, you know, riders, you know, would have bike failures or, crashes or injuries or whatnot. I mean, but, but again, everybody's, you know, everyone's on the gate together and when gets the same amount of time, same amount of laps and we were able to pull it off. But, you know, in those wins, you know, there was, there were only a handful of occasions where the U S team just flat out went out and just annihilated everybody, you know? And I think that those, those specific times are, are very well documented um 86 majora obviously 2007 butts creek you know these times that we went out and you know we won with the least amount of points that was possible to get you know going one two one two one two in the motos um you know when you're dropping the second place finishes your drop score um you know you you got everything pretty handled so um but that that happens rarely you know, I mean, you look at, uh, you know, you look at the Dutch boys this weekend, you know, Jeffrey and Glenn, I mean, they, they annihilated everybody. They I mean, would be super serious. They kicked yeah. the shit out of the rest of the world. Um, and, uh, you know, Heather 250 guy not taken, uh, you know, had not had to throw his goggles off and take a rock to the eye. I mean, he was in 15, 16, 17th place when that happened. I mean, they, they would have won with a score under 20. Um, you know, and the winning score, I think, was 34 or 35. So, 35, I mean, they yeah. would have won by, you know, they would have won by 15, 16 points. And that's a, that's a, that's being massacred. You know, I mean, they won all three motos. Uh, the last moto, they went one, two. Um, and they still got on the podium taking a DNF. So, um, you know, again, not the, not the fastest or the best team always wins, but uh, the team that puts it all together the most and goes out and operates like a team, like a, a, a well-oiled, cohesive unit, that's who gets the job done, you know. Um, and, you know, for the fifth time in a row, the French guys got it done. And, you know, there was a lot of a lot of talk going back and forth about how, uh, how badly – uh, you know, they, they kind of screwed up, you know, with the, with the Marvin situation. Um, and I mean, that could be looked at a million ways and we'll never know, right. We'll never know what the answer is. I mean, maybe, maybe Marvin, you know, maybe Marvin not riding was a blessing in disguise for them. Who knows? I mean, I got to think though, that he would have been able to do a little bit better than Jordy uh, simply because Jordy, you know, he's not had a great couple of years with injuries and whatnot. And he was riding a box stock, you know, ktm 450 which 
Yeah, the they Mexican expired order. in the first moto. Yeah, they expired. You know, they and I believe the French team. Uh, I I'm I'm not. This isn't confirmed, but I believe they have to go buy that motor from somebody. Yeah. Um, and and get it swapped out very quickly because there was only, I think there's only a thirty or forty minute uh, break in between the two motos from the time the moto ends to the time you have to actually have to be in park for May. So I mean they had to basically no go negotiate some sort of engine lease or engine purchase and get it and get it switched over pretty quickly and doing it with a very muddy bike. So. Um, you know, again, that's working as a team. That's, you know, kind of all hands on deck and that's, you know, pulling the rabbit out of the hat whenever you have to. Um, but that's what gets the job done. That's, that's, that's who wins motocross and nations. And it's, um, it's a, it's a gnarly race. It's, it's, uh, it's very difficult to win and to do it five times in a row or, you know, 13 or seven times like we've done it. You know, when, when you get on those title runs, it's, uh, it's impressive for sure. Absolutely. And one image kind of sticks out in my mind is uh, a very muddy head to toe Gautier Paulin uh, going over to Dylan Ferrandis right before his moto starts and, and coaching him up, telling him where he needs to go on the track, telling him what sections are, are, are really bad, so what lines to use. And like, not to say that that didn't happen on the, on the American side. There's not an image to, uh, there's not an, uh, image to tell me that did happen there's also a not image that tells me that didn't happen but um like just the the cohesiveness and the like the like kind of all in uh team like atmosphere over at team france i think is the x factor for them to to really be able to put it together year after year because um if anything this weekend showed us that there's a ton of randomness that happens with an event like this, but winning it five times in a row is not random whatsoever. And uh, no. basically, when when things uh, are are still thrown up, um, Team France is able to land on their feet. And uh, I, I think that they were like, like as, as far as the whole team wise, other than the Netherlands, they were the best team on the uh, on the weekend. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things about that, I mean, you know. France, they went and rented one of the NASCAR team hospitality transporters and had it at the track, nice. just France, you know? And so, you know, obviously I work with Dylan. And so I was spending a lot of time over at the star, at the, at the, uh, at the star semi, you know, Dylan would come in, he would get everything organized with the team, with his bike. And then he would immediately after that, he would go over to the team France transporter that's where he took his gear off. That's where he put his gear on. That's where he ate. That's where he rested. That's where they did team meetings. That's where they did their team strategy. And so you have to do that. And, you know, I've, I've been a part of, of the American team when we won. I've been a part of the American team when we lost. Um, you know, I, I, I think the American team when we lost that I was a part of at Lummel. You know, we we lost because we weren't prepared in the sand, and none of the guys had ever ridden sand like that. And that is the one track, you know, maybe there are Valkenswar that I would say, hey, that the Europeans do have a track advantage on us, um, simply because you know there there's very few places in the United States, if any, that you can actually go ride a track like Lommel or Valkenswar, mm-hmm. and and so if you don't have that experience. And you don't get over to Europe early enough to get a lot of time in their sand. It is a little bit different to, to ride. Obviously, our guys still did pretty well. They still ended up on the podium much better than the boys this weekend. 
Um, but you know, even in that, even in that situation, you know, we were having team meetings, we were all together. Um, you know, we, everybody was really, really close and we were having breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. We were having team meetings. We were doing all these things. And, and that just didn't happen this weekend. You know, there was, there was a lot of, um, space in between the riders and, and you can't have that. There, there cannot be, there is, you know, motocross is an eye sport, you know, because that's who's out there riding it. But when in this situation, it is most certainly a team, uh, a team atmosphere. I mean, you, you gotta work with your teammate, you know, you guys gotta really look at every single feasible situation that could happen. Um, you know, I thought, you know, personally, I thought them, the U S team starting Eli on the outside of the third moto when it's MX one and MX open, I thought that was, I thought it was crazy. And I also thought it was crazy that, you know, that, the uh see i was standing right above it and there was a uh there was a gate two from the inside that um that we didn't take and so cold enough was the second gate on the inside and then jeffrey was two over from that so yeah. you had the dutch guys that were that were on gate two and six how did that happen you know, uh, and, that, and that's well it happens because they're everyone's working as a team you know not just working as an individual as an individual rider um, and I think that would have made a world of difference. It, it wouldn't have made a difference in us winning, but I think at that, at that position, it probably would have made a difference in us being on the podium because, you know, we were only a few points out of, out of that happening. Yeah. You know, and if our guys get a couple of decent starts, you know, and, and one of our guys ends up, you know, third instead of 13th, um, that's 10 points, you know, and that's more than enough points to, to change the fact of what ended up happening to us. So, yeah, I think there are some missteps on the U.S. side of things. Um, I think there needs to be a lot of changes that happen before next year because I can tell you what, we're going to get our asses handed to us next year in, uh, in Aspen. Yeah. Because that is some very, very difficult sand. Uh, I have my opinions on what they should start doing, but um, you know, I'm certainly not going to air them out right here. I'll, you know, I, I have a plan as to when and where I'm going to air those out. But yeah. Um, I think I think we have some some changes that need to happen to to get us to get us going in the right direction. America's a you know it's it's a fantastic place to race. I mean, you see that uh, you have world champions like you know like Kenny and uh, you know and Marvin that are here now. You have guys in the past like John Bichelle and um, and Tortelli and Greta Albertine. You know all these guys that have come to America to uh to try to you know capture the ultimate prize in in motocross and so you know we 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 still have we still have a good program over here i think we need some changes but um you know it's uh, those changes aren't going to happen overnight that's for sure for sure and, and uh and i think that there is some work to be done and i think that was realized by the the droves of fans that headed out to uh, Buchanan Michigan and Redbud uh, Raceway where uh i think a lot of fans had a bit of an eye opening experience to see that uh Alessandro Lupino a guy that many many North American fans might not be too familiar with was able to race and and, and go lap for lap with a guy like Eli Tomac or a guy like um, Justin Barsha on on that particular day or or uh, a guy like Tommy Searle who for all intents and purposes left the United States in 2010 or 11 
uh, with his tail between his legs because he just underperformed. And the guy was like, if not for a broken motor, would have been uh, fourth in the first moto. Like, uh, yeah. like I, I think that the fans were very surprised with how much the European riders had for the American riders. It just it seems like we got superheroes over here, right? And to, to see someone else yeah. like that, the, the other series have superheroes is almost something we didn't want to believe until we saw it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I've raced over there. You know, I, I did a year riding the World Championships in '95 on a 125 for, for Honda. factory Honda, and. You know, I went over there because um, Bob Moore had won the championship in '94, and I was, you know, I'm a good friend with Bob. In fact, he's a colleague of mine at, at Wasserman. Um, you know, and I, I knew Bob's speed, and I knew my speed, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I think I got a pretty good chance to go over there and win this thing. You know, and I went over and you know qualified on pole my very first race in Italy, and I think I came out of the first race with a fourth overall, and. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that I got, you know, I didn't have like a reality smack because my speed was right in there. It was a little bit different of a, of a scenario back then because it was 40 plus two. It wasn't 30 plus two. It was, it was the longer motos back in the nineties. Um, you know, and I had a pretty good season. I ended up fourth in the world championship. Um, had a lot of, a lot of engine failures. It was the first year of the unleaded fuel. So, you know, part of, part of me getting forward had a lot to do with how many engines I blew up, but uh, it is a learning experience, and you, and you do learn that those guys are very, very, very fast, and they do have the ability um, on any given day to be much better than anybody else. I mean, and, uh, you saw that with Glenn. I mean, Glenn's a great rider. He's been great since he was riding MX2, but, you know, he's he's not been a guy that's, uh, that's put a 1-1 together in a couple of years. You know, and he put a 1-1 together on the, on the biggest stage in, in global motocross. And, you know, to be completely honest, I mean, I, I don't think that uh, that Jeffrey put in 100% charge in that second moto because his teammate was leading it. Yeah. Um, but also knowing Jeffrey the way that I do, he doesn't like to get beat. Um, and I think, you know, I think this past weekend he had one of those, he had one of those career days like, um, like Bill Poto did in, uh, at Butts Creek in 07, where it's like, wow, this guy, this guy's like the real deal. And uh, obviously, Villapoto ended up showing that many, many times after that. But, um, you know, Glenn had one of those days that, you know, he rolled out of bed and everything was right. And I'm sure that he was probably going around the track and everything was in slow motion. You could tell the way he was riding. He was riding a gear higher through all the corners, uh, down the straightaway. I never heard his bike hit the rev limiter, not one time. And everybody was over revving the hell out of their bikes because it was it was pretty deep and whatnot. But, the guy was just floating on top of it, you know, kind of as was Jeffrey, but um, that's to be expected from Jeffrey being, being as good as he is. But yeah, man, I mean, you can, uh, any one of those guys can uh, go out there and, and crush it. And, you know, I, I saw, I saw a lot of people, um, uh, I think it was on racer X talking about, you know, um, everyone's providing all these excuses as to why we didn't do this and why we didn't do that, which, you know, everyone's everyone's a victim or something. I don't I don't know what what the hell's wrong with people these days, man. but yeah, it's absurd. Um, but the thing is, is Tony crashed in the first corner in the first moto and came back to sixth. Um, you know, and he had no problem working through the pack. He had no problem working through mud. He had no problem doing all this. You know, and everyone's gonna excuse. Oh well, this guy got a bad start, and that's why he didn't move up. It's like, no, that's bullshit. Like, 
if you're good, you get through guys, plain and simple. Um, good guys always make it to the to the front of the pack. I don't, I don't care who you are, where you're at, what you're doing, what type of race you're in. The good guys go to the front. Yeah, that's period. what makes them good. It's just the way, it's, it's just the way that it works. So for, for any of the fans that think, that, oh, well, you know, if Eli would have gotten a better start or whatever, you know, it would have been fine. It's like, that's not an excuse for it. I mean, I, I think Eli's one of the most amazingly gifted, talented, and fast riders in the world. Um, but he was off. Plessinger mm-hmm. was off. You know, JB was off a little bit. Those guys did not have great days. Um, I'm sure part of it has to do with the pressure of, of being at that race. Um, you know, I never had the privilege of being picked for the team, and I can only imagine what the pressure is to be on the team. And I'm sure that that's magnified by you know, infinity when you're on the team at home and you're riding a track that you've ridden hundreds of times and, you know, and everyone's expecting you to go out there and annihilate the world. And, you know, I'm going to stamp it that U S is going to win everything. Well, I mean, that's a lot of pressure to, uh, to take on, but, um, you know, that's, that's why those guys are the best. And that's why those guys should perform. For sure. And I, I, I kind of explained it to one uh, fan. It's almost like a lose, lose. Because if you win, good, you're supposed to. If you lose, devastating. Like, there's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, they're, like unless they were just there's literally very go. Little up, there's, very little up, there's very little upside. You have, you, have very little, you have very little equity in the whole thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, like, on the side of Glenn Koldenhoff, like, an absolute career day. A guy who, for all intents and purposes, I was expecting some five sevens and what he typically turns in at an MXGP, uh, it goes and those one, have been good, one. And those have been good scores for him. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Those that that's that's a great day for for Glenn Koldenhoff. And the fact that he can like I, I do agree. I think maybe uh, Jeffrey took a little bit off his fastball in the last race, but just to make sure that they they did as well as they could. But uh, like the guy just looked like he, he was just like you're totally right. He was like in the moment. Racing forward, gear higher, and uh, he looked. It made it look easy out there. He's he's jumping the leap. He's excited. He's like he's he's leading by a good margin. He's managing the race like a pro. Like is like if he could bottle that and bring it to the to 2019 uh, MXGP series, he's a serious title threat. I don't know if that happens, but either way, this last yeah, Sunday I mean, look he's at, unreal. Look at Max. Look at Max the year before. Yes, Adderley. exactly. I mean, he, you know, he went one one. I mean, obviously Max had won some races last year as well, but you know, he he had one of those amazing days last year. Um, and those, I mean, it's you know, I think that just you know, it, it kind of shines a light on another point. I mean, these guys, I mean, they're bad dudes, you know, and to go out and beat them consistently is very very hard. So you look at guys like Tony and you look at guys like Jeffrey that, that are consistently running away with races, you know, I mean, and, and that has to be respected. I mean, these, all these guys are good. Yeah, all these guys have top 10 are really good. You know? yeah. To to look at the year that Jeffrey had winning 20, I don't even, I forget the number of what it's he won, 20 something motos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's, it's insanity. I mean, you know, that's, that's Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart, type of 24 and 0 seasons yeah and he missed he missed yeah. one race like uh you, you like he, yeah. he didn't have an opportunity to win two more um and yeah like it was a pleasure to watch um jeffrey ride i've had a subscription to watch the mxgps for as long as they've offered that uh, i love watching them I, I i just i love the euro style really i i, I they're so dedicated to motocross 
which is what I compete in. I've raced a few in, uh, uh, arena crosses here and there, but motocross is what I compete and love and ride in. Obviously, I love supercross. I love seeing that as well. But just to see like the guys that they're just immersed in it, that's, that's their play. That's their putty that they work with every single day of the week. And it's just cool to see those guys are absolute technicians on the motorcycle. And uh, they've also got some, some techniques that like, you won't see anywhere else. And I think it's kind of cool. No, it's, it's, it's true. It's, uh, you know, I, I actually had a, uh, had a conversation with one of my clients, Justin Bogle, um, about Jeffrey. And we were talking about how far back on the bike he sits coming into and coming out of the corners you know, because of, of the of the change that that makes on the bike. And, you know, the one thing that a lot of people don't know is, um, you know, the factory KTM bikes, uh, I'm not so sure about the rest of them. I know the factory KTM and Huskies are the same. Um, you know, the frames and the swing arms are longer on those bikes over in Europe. You know, they're not normal frames. They're not normal swing arms. So that gives you a little bit different of a leverage point. And, right. and that's one of the reasons why those bikes go around outdoor tracks so well, because they're built for an Long outdoor and track. Stable. And... You know, and they're, they're works bikes. You know, they're not production based. They're true works machines. I mean, and you and you, you know, you could tell. It was funny. I was, I was going around Park for May, like looking at their spare bikes that were in Park for May, checking them out in comparison to some of the more typical standard bikes that are there. And um, they're pretty trick machines. Um, you know, to the naked eye, they would probably look the same. You know, from 30, 40 feet away, but. You get up close, and there's there's some trinkets on there that are that are pretty interesting, but that still doesn't make a difference. I mean, the the reality is, you know, we got our asses handed to us, plain <laughs> and simple, um, and we got our asses handed to us by everybody, not just the Dutch, not just the Italians, not just the Spanish. Like we got our asses handed to us by a lot of people. So I hope, um, I hope for the sake of the riders as much as anything that the that the AMA and Feld and everybody else like. Take a take a little piece of this and understand that like we need to make some changes in the sport here in the in the U.S. or it was going to be a long time before that Chamberlain Trophy makes the uh, makes the trek over to uh, over to Ohio for any permanent you know sitting time. Absolutely, and with uh, with Assen on on the horizon, and then Arne France, which uh, going back to there uh, in the first for the second time in like eight years is kind of uh scratch my head at that a little bit but uh either way it's a track that uh, we should be a little bit familiar with i think we have a better chance there than we do at assen but um looking forward to uh i actually want to backpack uh, back to this weekend just shortly but uh, looking forward to to assen like what like what do you like if no, you can you can get into it if you want or not but um what is what needs to happen for uh for the u.s to put their best foot forward at that race i i think the i think the actual and to me the the best plan for for that race is quite honestly not to send our best guys send your best sand guys no no i don't think you even do that i think i think you send your best young guys okay i think is because i i don't think there's any real way that they could win period yeah, and I think what you need to do is you need to send over some guys that really want to go. Um, some, you know, maybe uh, you might even send over all two fifty riders and throw a couple of them on four fifties. You know, but you send over some young kids that are really eager to go, that want to do it, and you kind of throw them into the deep end so that they so that they get some experience, they get their asses kicked, 
and they get really, really mad, and they get really, really hungry to want to go back and avenge it. You need to be you need to be emotionally engaged in wanting to win the race, and you got to have that fire brewing in you to to go over there and put everything on the line to do it. Um, so I, I think you know I think it becomes an investment year for the U.S. Um, personally, if I was a team manager, I mean that's a, that's a thing that I would you know that I would look at doing. I'd look at you know, getting some guys like that, you know, and uh, sending them over. You know, hopefully you would have somebody like, uh, you know, like a Jason who who seems very keen to go over and do well. Um, maybe a guy like Cooper that's got a big chip on his shoulder that's been before. You know, maybe a guy like Chase Sexton, a young kid. Um, I, I think I think you've got to you got to like restructure the way you do the whole thing. Um, and get get guys engaged on it and, and want them to win. I mean, you know, when I was growing up racing, it was the one thing that you always wanted to get picked for, right? Yeah. Now I don't think I don't think many of the guys really really give a damn if they get picked to go. I mean, um, I hear the 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 song and dance about oh, there's so many races and I'm so tired and I'm this and I'm that and I'm this and I'm that and all this crap. It's like, man, like we used to race all year round and the first weekend off after the nationals were over, we were all over Italy doing international races, you know, and most of us would be, would do between eight and 10 international races during the off season. You know, we would fly home and test Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, get on a flight on Thursday and race Friday and Saturday night in Europe. And that was just normally what we did. Or Japan. Um, and, and yeah, or oftentimes in Japan, but I mean, no one was like, oh man, I've been racing too much. Oh, I'm so tired because I've been racing. You know, I, I, I don't buy into that at all. I think that you need to race. I think you need to race quite often and you need to race in conditions that aren't perfect. You know, the conditions over here that the guys ride in, everything is perfect. The practice tracks are perfect. Everyone's got their lap board and their pit board, and they got their, you know, their man friend, and they're doing their goggles for them. It's like, you know, there's no, you know, there's 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 nothing difficult anymore when you're racing over here at that high level. Everything is taken care of for you, you know. And, and, and hell, man, for that matter, I'm probably part of the problem on that, you know, doing what I do. But um, you know, I, I think our guys need to toughen up a little bit and. Um, not to say that like the guys that went aren't tough. I think just the general mindset needs to be a little bit different for this race. Absolutely. I think this is, uh, this is an old school race. It requires an old school uh, approach to it, a workmanlike approach, uh, to get the job done. And, uh, and also a camaraderie. Like, uh, there's all those stories of, of Rick Johnson and, uh, and Jeff, Ward not being fans of each other like 363 days a year, but when it came to going over to, to race more across the nations, like they put the uh, egos friend. aside and, 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 and they go, those guys went out and won. And, 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 and Jeff's an example of a guy that won six different times. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I, I, this is years ago now, but I mean, I actually think I put a, a picture on my Instagram uh, from when we were at Lowell, you know, and, and Baggett had just won the 250 outdoor championship and he had just, you know, he had just beaten Eli and Tomac. I mean, Eli and, um, and Barsha for the yep. win, 
you know, and we get over there and Barsha's riding the, the MX uh, open class and Baggett's riding the MX2, um, you know, but every time they would come in from practice and they're, they're, you know, they're crouched over together talking about lines. I mean, a week before, literally one week before they wanted to kill each other. Um, but you can't, you have to, that has to be your best friend for three days. Um, and you got, and you got to be, you know, you have to be in tune with everybody, you know, and the fact is, you know, they, they got done with the race at, uh, um, Lake Elsinore and everybody headed over the next day. And, you know, for the beginning of the week, they were testing together, riding together. Um, you know, everyone's going to dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. And you have to, you have to create that environment. Um, I think we missed the boat this year on that one for sure. For sure. But so let's talk a little bit about uh, the rider you were involved with, a guy who's very close to you. And since coming over from uh, from France, uh, you've you've really kind of taken under your wing and he's flourished, uh, shown speed in both Supercross and outdoors. He's won races in both as well. Dylan Ferrandis is uh, once again an MX ON champion. And uh, I got to think that uh, under the uh, watchful tutelage of a guy like yourself, was able to put his best foot forward, and uh, like I, I'm a fan of this guy. I love the way he rides a motorcycle, and uh, just how much passion he races with. Um, like, of course, the first thing that comes out of my mind comes to my mind. When I think of uh, Dylan is that little kind of kicking motion he did to I can't remember who it was uh, back in when he was on Cowies uh, years ago over in Europe, but since then has turned himself into uh, a would be champion over here in the States. Um, tell me a little bit about working with Dylan and obviously uh, your experience with him this last weekend. Yeah, I mean, Dylan's great. I mean, I've, you know, we were we were looking after Dylan when he was still in Europe. And, I, you know, I, I flew him over here for a month back in uh, 2015. 2015. And, and, you know, he rode, uh, you know, he rode. And, you know, before he, you know, he got to meet a lot of people and ride a bunch. He'd come over for Monster Cup and stuff like that beforehand, but he never really stayed here and rode. Um, you know, and he came over and, you know, at the end of the trip is like, okay, like, you know, what's your plan? He's like, I, this is it. Like, I, I'm, I want to do this. I want to do this for, for next season. And, uh, so he was going into the 2016 season at that point. Um, and his deal was, uh, was already inked. The, the ink was dry on the paper before the very first Grand Prix. So before he even went to uh, the first Grand Prix that year, his deal to come over here and ride for Star was already done. Um, and you know, since coming here, obviously, I think we have a really, I think we have a really good team that's built around him. Obviously, David Villeman is working with him as a riding coach. You know, I'm handling, uh, I'm handling everything with him from a from a business and and management perspective. Um, he's got his team, which, uh, which now with, you know, he, he was, you know, I'd call it the A minus rider. And now with AP being gone, he is, he is the number one rider on the team. Um, and then he has his girlfriend, uh, Nastasia, who is, who is committed to him, um, 100%, making sure that he is fed correctly. Um, he's very uh, meticulous about what he eats, how he trains, how he sleeps. Um, he has a sleeping pattern program that he's on. So, I mean, he, he doesn't leave, um, he doesn't leave any stones unturned when it comes to racing. I mean, um, his mentality is quite a bit different. You know, he's, he's not about going out and having a good time, this, that, and everything. Not to say he doesn't enjoy himself 
because he does, but I mean, his goal is to win races. His goal is to put himself in a position to win championships. Um, and I mean, from a talent perspective, he's massively talented. Uh, the way he rides a bike is unbelievable. His, his, you know, his mindset for training is, uh, is as strong as anybody's I've ever seen. You know, if, if he's told to go run, 45 minutes at his heart rate at X, that's exactly what he's going to do. He will not go one, you know, one notch below it at all. Um, and, and he puts in all the work, you know, and I think, um, you know, knock on wood that if he, you know, if he can get through this off season really healthy and come into 2019 firing on all cylinders, I, I think he's the guy to beat. I think he's the guy to beat for a Supercross championship. I think he's going to be the guy to beat for an outdoor championship. Um, I truly believe that that with everything that he has at his disposal, including his own talent, um, and if he's healthy, that both both uh, indoor and outdoor championships go through him. There you go. Yeah, I, like coming in uh, after uh, his injury, obviously it was a it was a serious one. Uh, lost some chiclets. I think as a Canadian, I I, I can respect that because uh, uh, only about half the ones in my mouth are real. Um, but uh, and that's more to do with hockey pucks than motocross. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but uh, once he came back. Uh, was able to be to show speed right away. Took no time getting up to speed and and uh, and, and sticking his nose in with the rest of his teammates. Um, and uh, and yeah, he's, he's shown speed in Supercross as well. And being a um, an, like someone's say older, but he's, he's more mature, a little bit older. 250 guy next year in Supercross. I feel like that is an absolute X factor for these guys. I find that guys that stick around maybe an extra year or so, they're almost like a two or 450 guy still on a 250, similar to a Zach Osborne in recent history, um, where they, they just like they stick around just that little year longer. They're stronger, they're faster, and they can just really throw around that 250F. And uh, I'm looking forward to some big things from Dylan in 2019. Yeah, definitely. I think that his maturity level has risen. Um, even in the last four or five months, he's really become a complete uh, racer. And I think that that's just, you know, he's he's on a, on a nice upswing on everything. So, like I said, if we can keep him healthy, um, I know that he's going to do the work. The The new 2019 uh, YZ250F is, is a fantastic motorcycle that they've already made great progress on in testing. So, um, again, I think he has all the tools to his disposal. I think he's now in a position that he, he really understands how to use all those tools that he has in his toolbox. Um, you know, when to use them, how to use them. I, I think his intelligence on the bike is really starting to pay off. I think you see, you know, everybody saw that this weekend. Uh, you know, he was having some issues with the bikes um, this weekend, and, and he, you know, he had to kind of take a little bit off of the way he was riding. You know, a lot of people are going, oh, well, you know, Prada was out there and Hunter and this and that. It's like, well, they were, but they weren't having the issues that Dylan was. And, you know, the old Dylan would have just, you know, rode the hell out of the bike and blew it up. Um, and had he done that, you know, it, you know, no one would have given him a hard time for it, but they wouldn't have won the champion, the, the race like they did. You know, so he, he did the smart thing and um, and got the bike home and, in the end, the points were good enough to win, and that's what you have to do to win a championship. You know, you you don't need to win every race, but you you know you need to win the ones that you can, and you need to bring it home. 
you know, like like you did this weekend, a third overall in the MX2 class, and that's that's what got the job done. So I think that, that maturity that he's uh, that he's showing now, I think that that's really going to serve him well for next year. And again, I'm I'm uh, I'm excited for him. I uh, I love the kid like he's my son, and I'm I just you know I'm I'm excited to see him finally really reach the true potential that he has. Um, I, I think it's um, you know I think it'll be really well deserved once uh, once he gets there. For sure, and uh, you'd be happy to see that. Um, aside from Dylan, uh, who do we know that you're working with in in 2019? I don't know if you keep that secret or not, or what, what, what's the whole project? Yeah, you, no, can, I, you can shoot I, that I, down if you want, or what? A, yeah, I mean, us as a company, we, we represent a lot of guys, but me personally, um, I just have my two guys that I work with, uh, Bogle and, uh, and Dylan. I'm looking, uh, I'm probably going to be signing two more riders before the beginning of the year. I like that. Um, you know, and when, when I do that, you know, everyone will know about that, but, um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll have a couple more young kids, you know, cause Dylan's, you know, Dylan's only got, uh, two seasons left in the 250 class and he'll be in the 450, you know, and I'll, I'll need another couple of guys to, uh, to fill that spot, you know, as, as guys kind of age through their careers and whatnot. But, um, yeah. We're uh, we're good to go right now. Fair enough. Uh, and and uh, on on the topic of Justin Bogle, um, dealt with some 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 injuries in 2018. Uh, obviously, not one to not in 2018 to write home about. Um, where does he go from here? What like what kind of uh, like do you like? Are you at liberty to say where he's where he's going or what? What, what he's no, thinking? No, we're, we're not we're not quite completely done. I mean, the deal okay. that we have. Uh, we pretty much know, but it's, you know, there's no, there's no ink on the paper. So we, we're not able to, we're not liberty to tell anything about it, right. but you know, he had a tough season. Obviously he came off of a, of a 2017 season, really, really high winning, you know, winning Bud's Creek, winning a moto in, in, uh, in Colorado and things were looking really great, you know, and, and everything, uh, went to hell in the handbasket at Monster Cup when he got landed on, um, you know, that was the first thing. Got landed on. Got got a really really bad concussion. Yeah. Um. They had to sit out for a while. You know. Well, no. And then actually, what happened from there is, uh, once he started riding again, it gotten back up to speed, physical. You know, he'd gone through boot camp. Everything was good. And you know, and three weeks before Anaheim won, um, his chain broke on a on a on a dragon back, and uh, and he went down really really hard. And not a lot of people knew about that one. Um, and then, you know, then he comes back and he's back to racing, gets lands on San Diego and, and breaks his humorous. So, um, unfortunately the three injuries that he had in, in, you know, at the end of 17 and 18, you know, none of them were his fault. Um, which is, that's a tough pill to swallow, uh, especially when then you have a bunch of sponsors that are really questioning your ability when it really didn't have anything to do with you. So, you know, it's a tough situation for him, you know. 20, uh, 2019 is going to definitely be a rebuilding year for him, but I think that we um, we have the the program that's going to work for him to to kind of help him get built back up and you know try to work him into a position where he's battling you know up front for podiums again and you know maybe by potentially by the end of the season maybe he'll be you know up at that uh, up at that league group you know trying to battle for some moto wins outdoors. For sure, and he has that. He has that potential uh, with a clean bill of health and some momentum, and that that's like all of your your the confidence and the, all the things that go around riding uh, to your potential. I think that uh, he has that um, 
to yet to be unlocked in 2019. We'll see if he gets there. Um, as I mentioned to you in my text uh, to you earlier this week, you've been a part of countless um, initiatives over the years, uh, whether it be the, this last Friday night, and maybe we can talk about that uh, just a, a short bit. But uh, is there anything else that you would kind of like like to turn your attention to, um, like a, a specific cause or uh, a, pers- a specific person that's ailing right now that uh, really does need some donations and help? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you go on roadrecovery.com, you can, um, you know, I, I never like to advocate for any one, uh, any one injured rider because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I, I think, you know, the best thing is, you know, if you are interested in helping out guys that have been, uh, that have been, you know, severely, severely hurt, um, then, you know, you go on the, you go on our website, and you can read up on everybody that's been hurt, what's wrong with them, what uh, what they what they need, and you know if um, uh, you know if if it's something that uh, you know that, that gets to you in a, in, a, in a way that you feel like you need to donate or whatnot, then you know, you're able to go on there and you're able to donate for the person that you've read about and that you know that strikes a chord with you. So um, yeah, I mean it's that's the the best thing I can say is just to. Uh, you know, go on the website, see if uh, see if what we do is of interest to you, and um, you know, and you know, there's there's no donation that's uh, either too little or too big. You know, we've um, we were working with a kid a couple of years ago, and we were getting, which I didn't even know this was possible, but they were making donations for fifty cents and seventy five cents. Kids were, and that's awesome. um, it was yeah, it was awesome, and. Amazingly enough, like you wouldn't believe it, those seventy-five cents and one dollar and two-dollar donations really added up, and we we raised a lot of money. I mean, I believe we raised uh, nearly three quarters of a million dollars for for one athlete, you know. Wow. And I would say eighty percent of the donations were under were under five bucks. So you know the the whole thing of you know that um, uh, you know just the little bit helps is really really true because. If the masses are are chipping in just a little bit, it does a lot of good for these guys. And um, you know the you know our whole staff, and not that it's very large. There's only I think there's only three people that are on payroll for the for the foundation, um, not myself included. But uh, um, you know they they work really really hard, and you know and we uh, we try to raise as much money as possible for as many injured um, injured riders and uh, action sports athletes that we can. Well, there you go, and you guys do amazing work, and uh, one example of that was this last Friday night at the Motocross of Nations. Uh, you gathered, uh, I think, 36, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe that's the number of yeah. athletes. Yeah, it was... It, it, it was Amazing, uh, is what it was. It, it was it was amazing, and, and a big hats off goes to Jeff Stanton on that for really flexing his muscle to, uh, to help make that happen. Um, you know, without him, without the road recovery staff, there was no way that thing was going to get pulled off. And uh, miraculously, it did. Even with the weather that was going on outside, the the event was was massively successful. I was kind of running around all night, just really thanking the riders uh, individually for showing up and uh, you know taking time out of their Friday evening to do that, as well as talking to a lot of the fans that spent. You know, it's been good money to to sit down at a table with the rider they're choosing and 
and uh, have dinner with him and, and bench, you know, bench race with him and whatnot. And everybody seemed to be having a really great time. Some of the stories that came out uh, of the early motocross of nation years, you know, back in the seventies, late seventies and eighties were, were really fantastic. And it was a, it was a great event, a great gathering. Um, you know, we, we ended up raising about $150,000. Um, of that, uh, we were already donating money to, uh, to Red Bull's wings of life foundation that does research for spinal cord injuries. Um, we paid for the, um, uh, Alpine stars medical unit to be at the race, uh, cause it's, it's quite expensive for that thing to go from race to race. And, you know, at supercross, uh, and motocross, the promoters pick up a portion of the, um, of that expense for each round. Uh, we also help pick up some of that expense for each of those rounds, but for motocross nations, uh, there was no one picking up the tab for it. So we, uh, we offered to do that. Obviously it was great that we were able to raise a bunch of money to help offset that. Um, and then the rest of the money, you know, goes into the injured riders, um, uh, fund that we, uh, that we have that, you know, that takes care of these guys when they end up getting hurt. So, um, you know, we've had that endowment now going for, I think nearly 10 years. We've had the endowment now and, you know, it's, uh, it's well over a million dollars. It's sitting in the, in the endowment and it, it, you know, it's there for when guys get hurt and, uh, it helps take care of them and their families immediately. So, uh, it's a, it's been a blessing that we've had so many great supporters over the years. Um, but again, you know, those little donations, um, they, they, they make up the vast majority of what we do. Well, there you go. Go to, uh, roadrecovery.com and uh, and read those uh, very moving sentiments about these different riders that have been injured, athletes that have been in- injured, and uh, and donate the smallest uh, amount or the biggest amount you can. It's uh, it's always important, and uh, it's good to know that uh, even the smallest really do make an impact. And uh, uh, Jimmy. This this interview made a huge impact. I, I, think, I think there's a lot of people going to get a lot out of this. Uh, they're going to enjoy it for the entertainment value of your stories and just uh, all of your um, like just you, the knowledge that you have of this sport is just almost second to none. And uh, I can't thank you enough for giving me an hour of your time this week. Uh, it's a short week for us Canadians. It's Thanksgiving on Monday, but uh, uh, I think all weeks are pretty much a short week when it comes to you because uh, you got so many balls in the air, man. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, well, not a problem. It's always uh, it's always great to uh, to catch up with you, uh, yes, whether on the phone or in person at some races. And uh, yeah, always great to talk about moto, what's going on in it. And, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, a year from now, we're having a conversation about how the guys have made a good turnaround from uh, from motocross and nations, and we're getting things back on track. Yes, sir, my friend. That sounds great to me. Uh, I always appreciate the time. Don't hang up just yet. But for podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there.